a reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus called the crowd to him and said to them, listen and understand. It is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that defiles. Then the disciples approached and said to him, do you know that the Pharisees took offense when they heard what you said? He answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be uprooted. Let them alone. They're the blind guides of the blind. And if one blind person guides another, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, explain this parable to us. Then he said, are you also still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth enters the stomach and goes out into the sewer? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this is what defiles. From out of the heart comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I know I've shared previously a bit of this story, but I'm going to share it again because it is one that helps illuminate part of what this gospel makes us struggle with. Now, you all know that I grew up originally uh, in the Catholic Church, and I came to it late. You know, I was five by the time I started during Sunday school, and I always felt behind, as though there was stuff I didn't know that I should know that everyone else seemed to know already. And I remember being taught very clearly that Jesus was fully human. And this thought delighted me. It delighted me to believe that God could fully be one of us. Now, being the type of church that I was at, it was also fairly well emphasized that human beings were imperfect. We were imperfect. We were preparing for our first confession and first communion. Our inherent sinfulness was part of what we were being taught, the reason why we needed God. So, as I learned that Jesus, Son of God, fully divine, was also fully human, at the age of six or seven, I remember distinctly believing that Jesus must have sinned, that to be fully human, he had to be imperfect. And this, for me, was a source of great comfort, because as much as I was being taught about my own imperfection, 
it gave me comfort that Jesus, if God could so love Jesus in his imperfection, then perhaps I could be so loved. Now, as an adult looking back on this, I can see all sorts of problems of what was being taught to my six, seven-year-old self. And I remember distinctly feeling crushed to learn that Jesus was actually perfect, that he could exist as a human being and be perfect. And then that was what we were meant to attain and strive for. I remember wondering, how could Jesus be fully human and yet not stumble and fall? To me, it seemed to be part of the nature of what it is to be human, to make mistakes. At seven, it was probably not telling the truth or stealing something from my sister, but nonetheless, imperfection was part of the game. So was Jesus truly fully human if he was not experiencing that? The perfection of Christ began being drilled to me in Sunday school. And I always felt a bit more distant when I saw the chasm between who Christ was and who I was. Then you encounter a gospel like today, after being taught for years and years that Jesus, Son of God, is perfect. And I have to wonder how true that statement is. You see, Jesus does not seem that perfect in our gospel today. It's a difficult text. It's meant to be difficult, and we should stumble through it together. The story of the Canaanite woman is always one that the preacher wrestles with and that we should wrestle with, because Jesus doesn't feel very Christ-like in this story. A woman comes to him begging for help. He doesn't even turn her away at first. He's just silent. He doesn't even give her a response. Does that sound like the Jesus we know and preach and love? The Jesus of compassion that we are so used to experiencing? It does take a bit of unpacking. The Canaanite woman is a loaded title to give her. In the Gospel of Matthew, it is perhaps a more positive title to give her, but she's an outsider. She's a Gentile. Now, the Canaanites can be traced back through Jesus' own lineage. So in this particular gospel, how the story appears is perhaps trying to tie her relationally to Jesus, ancestrally. That's part of Matthew's big thing. He goes through the whole lineage and genealogy of Jesus at the beginning of this gospel. When the woman approaches Jesus, she says, Lord, son of David. She points to that genealogy. She builds that connection in what she says. She knows that she is an outsider and she is trying to tap into that relationship and connection to have with him. She uses the phrase, have mercy on me, invoking all she has heard about who Christ is, that he is merciful and compassionate. And yet he responds with anything but compassion, says, but he did not answer her at all. Can you imagine Jesus in the face of a desperate mother begging for mercy, standing there silently? What is this moment for Jesus? Was he just having a bad day? 
How do we explain away such coldness? We have his response later on. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. We see a narrowness in the ministry of Christ that we're not used to experiencing. We see a narrowness of his definition of who he has come for. And it's troubling because it does not fit with the theology that we are used to preaching. It does not fit with our understanding of the world, of our understanding of our faith and of Christ. It's hard to do anything but say, Jesus stumbled in this text. Jesus was not the perfect son of God. And yet we have to remember that the gospels, as much as they say about Christ, say a whole lot more about us. They are, yes, divinely inspired words of God, but the human hand wrote them down. The human hand is what compiled our scriptures and put together these stories. I wonder if within this text, as much as it talks about God's old and stumbling, it's also talking about our own. The evolution of the Christian faith, the narrowness with which we sometimes want to define it, and the evolution towards expansiveness that has come through the ages. Jesus has a turn. She, the Canaanite woman, does not stop. She persists. She is told that she should be sent away by the disciples. She is related to a dog by Jesus. He says it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She is ignored and then insulted. She is treated as less than. And yet, with the desperation of a mother, she does not give up. She said, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Her tenacity, her resilience, built presumably from the love of her own child, keep her coming back to the Son of God, begging for mercy. She has more faith in him in that moment than I think I would. She comes to him believing in the stories of mercy and forgiveness. She comes to him believing in all she has heard and the miracles that he can perform. We're in this little chunk of miracle stories in our lectionary. And she believes, even though he doesn't give her much reason to persist. And notice what it is that changes Christ. Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. He finally responds. His mercy and compassion comes not from within himself, but within her faith of him. It is her advocacy, her agency, that comes to change Christ's mind. There's really no other way to see it. Christ changes his mind. This is what it is for God to be in relationship with humanity, for God to be in relationship with the Christian story. 
it is constantly a story that changes and evolves as we know better, as we do better, as we reflect on how we have narrowly defined our faith in the past and how we are called to expansively define it in the future. The story of the Canaanite woman shows that the Christian faith is a living, breathing thing, that it will not look the same from century to century. As in these moments, it did not look the same from one moment to the next. A narrow definition of who Christ was sent to be with is suddenly expanded to the Gentiles and to those he did not believe he was ministering to. So too must we approach our own faith, our own church, our own understanding of our calling that is a living, breathing thing and that as we live within this world and live within one another, with one another, how we come to know God and our calling of God is ever-changing. I believe it's part of the beauty of what it means to be Christian. It is part of the beauty of what it is that God created humanity and gave us agency within this world. That the unexpected can take place. That as we grow and change, our knowledge of God will grow and change, and perhaps God's knowledge of us will grow and change as well. It is why we can never get too stuck in the way we've always done it. Because even for Jesus, that didn't hold true. Because he changed his mind because a woman persisted. She had faith. She had faith in a moment when perhaps she didn't need to, or when she was not given a Christ who warranted having faith in. Is her actions that save her daughter, that expand the Christian faith? How will we, in the face of our knowledge of Christ, in the face of all that is happening in the world, come to live into our faith in new and unexpected ways. Ways that seemed beyond the boundaries of our faith before. There is a phrase we constantly come back to in work such as the sacred ground class or um, social justice work in general. I hear many of our classmates in those classes say it, once you know better, you do better. We do not have to be defined and limited by who we have been in the past or by what we didn't know. But as we learn and grow with which all of us have the capacity for, we will do better. I don't know if this is an example of Christ sinning, but it certainly is not an example of Christ's perfection. It is an example, however, of his humanity. For once he knew better, he did better. And that is the greatest example of how we are called to be Christ-like. To learn and grow as he did. Constantly striving to be the followers of Christ that God calls us to be in new and expansive ways. Amen.